0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's always nice to be here, and it's nice to see such a large group. If any of you would like to move a little closer, that would be nice. We're kind of spread out. Hopefully, though, with the microphone you can hear. So how many of you are new to practice tonight? Just one? Everybody else has been practicing a while? Wonderful, wonderful. So what I want to speak about tonight is mind. We talk in Buddhist practice a lot about mind. Your mind, my mind, the mind big mind, small mind, we have a lot to say about mind. The Dalai Lama suggests that Buddhism is not a religion, it's a science of the mind. It's a study of the mind. We use the mind to study the mind, The mind is a very complex subject. We talk about it a lot, but there's a lot we don't know. It's kind of mysterious. The Buddha suggested in the first chapter of the Dhammapada that All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows, as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never departing shadow. So that's quite a statement that everything comes from the mind, everything follows the mind. All of our thoughts, our actions, what we say, our speech, follows from our intention. So intention or intent is also very important in Buddhist understanding. Often we don't pay attention to our intention. But as a mindfulness practice, we can learn to pay attention to the intent before we say or do something. Because what we say or do will follow that intention. And if we're not clear about what our intention is then we may find ourselves doing or saying things that surprise us. Intention comes from the mind. So it's important that we cultivate a clear mind. The fifth precept speaks to this. It says that we will not intoxicate or cloud the mind, that we will cultivate a clear mind or keep a clear mind. And of course, this is important if everything comes from the mind. So we practice and we learn what is skillful and what is unskillful what is wholesome, and what is unwholesome. And this is how we decide what we want to say, what we want to do. Another way of saying it is, what leads to happiness, and what leads to suffering. And this is to be our guide for our action. So, how do we determine what is skillful and what is wholesome and what is not? We study. We study the Dharma, the Buddhist teachings. We study life. I have found life to be the greatest teacher. We can learn from every. Experience everything that happens. We study ourselves. And this is important. We want to come to know ourselves very well. We can't always control what happens to us, what happens in life. There's a good deal that is out of our control. But what we have some amount of control over is our response to what happens. And to do that, it's important that we know ourselves very well. And we study our minds We get to know our minds as well as we can. How do we do this? We pay attention. We use our mindfulness. And we do it with diligence and with vigilance. So the second chapter of the Dhammapada is entitled Vigilance because vigilance is so important. It's one thing to be mindful off and on or, you know, sometimes. It's another to be really diligent about our mindfulness, to be really vigilant, to pay attention all of the time or as much of the time as we can. This is how we come to see and understand who we are and what we're about, what we're doing. And often, it's this lack of vigilance that creates the difficulty. So when I'm working with people and they're wanting to change something, something about their thinking, something about their habits, their actions, and I suggest that they pay attention, that they be really mindful about whatever it is that they're talking about. And they will often say, oh, yes, yes, I know, I know. I I know I do that, or I know I say that, or I think that, or whatever. But I insist (laughs) that they pay attention every single time that they say something or do something. Because it's that vigilance It's that seeing it every single time that allows us to be really clear about what it is we're doing and what it is we might want to change. So as you may have noticed, we are thinking all the time. The mind is going continuously. And if we're not aware that thinking, even at a uh, subtle level, affects us, it influences us, and often we're not aware of that subtle level of thinking unless we get very calm, very quiet, very still, so we can hear the mind. We can hear the thoughts that are happening. That's the only way we have any chance of making any change. If we're not aware of that subtle level of perhaps negative thinking, perhaps criticism or judgment or I hate to say it, but it's true self-hate for some people. Some people are terribly self-judgmental. And it goes on continuously, the critic, we say. And if that's not seen clearly, then it runs us. It continues, and it affects what we say and what we do and we we have developed this thinking generally from our conditioning the conditioning of our culture the conditioning from our families the conditioning from our life experiences often we make decisions from our experience especially as children We do this. And then we carry those decisions on into our adult life or the rest of our lives. And they may not be true. But we're still telling ourselves whatever it is. And that affects us. That often determines how we see things, how we think about things, how we think about ourselves. And sometimes it's out of our awareness. It's happening on a subtler level, and we're not aware of it. So it's so easy for us to fall into old patterns, old habits of the mind, if we're not paying attention. There's, there's an uh, often told story, maybe you've heard of it, um, in Buddhist practice of the person walking down the street, not paying attention, and falls into a hole. And of course, he or she is startled, and it takes a while to climb out of the hole. But they do. They go on. The next day, they walk down the same street. They know the hole is there, but they still fall in. This time, they get out a little faster, but they've still fallen in. So the next day, they walk down the same street, but now they know the hole is there, and they walk around it. The next day... They walk down another street. And that's a good example of how we work with our minds. How we work with those ingrained habits and patterns and belief systems. We fall into the trap maybe more than twice, maybe several times. But we see it more and more clearly each time we do. And eventually, we walk around it, or we choose a different street. We just don't go down that road at all. So, the third chapter of the Dhammapada is entitled The Mind. And it says something very important. When I first heard, I think it was Gil, say this, I was really struck by it. Whatever an enemy may do to an enemy or haters one to another, far worse is the harm from one's own wrongly directed mind. Far worse. Neither mother nor father nor any other relative can do one as much good as one's own well-directed mind. So it's really true. We're our own worst enemies. We can do ourselves more harm through a misdirected or um, not well-directed mind than anybody else could do to us. And, by the same token, and this is what struck me, I think, (laughs) I knew the other. We can also with a well-directed mind, be kinder to ourselves than mother, father, or relative. So that's the power of the mind. And for me, that was motivation to really pay attention to this mind. And make sure that I kept it well-directed. Make sure that, that I was well aware of the negative, the unwholesome, the unhelpful thoughts, and didn't get caught up in them. The watched mind... The disciplined mind brings happiness. The undisciplined mind, the unwatched mind, can lead to fear and unhappiness and agitation and anxiety and all of the difficult emotions or mind states. So it's important for us to remember or to recognize that the natural state of the mind is luminous, is bright, is clear. The original state of the mind is clear, like an awakened mind. I sometimes liken it to the windshield of a car. The windshield is naturally clean. It's clear. You can see through it. But through driving, we pick up dirt, we pick up bugs. The windshield becomes very dirty sometimes and it distorts our perception. It distorts things. And this is true of the mind also. We can pick up A lot of fetters, if you will, (laughs) a lot of garbage, a lot of unwholesome ideas, beliefs, a lot of confusion, a lot of delusion, a lot of ill will, anger, toxins, poisons, the cloud the mind that keep us from seeing things clearly but if we remember that the natural state of the mind is clear and luminous then we see that our job is to clear away the dirt (laughs) to clear away what gets in the way of that natural state. To let go of the unwholesome, the unhelpful, the um, distorting perceptions that we have gathered that cloud the mind. And how do we do that? We do it through understanding and practice. So as I said, we study the Dharma. We come to understand what the Buddha was pointing to, how the Buddha was helping us to see things clearly. Remember that Buddhism is not a dogma. It's not a belief system. The Buddha was not telling us you have to believe this and you have to believe that. You have to do this and you have to do that. No, he was telling us, wake up. See things clearly. See things as they are. Not as you think they should be. Not as you would like them to be. But as they are. So we use our minds to understand and to see things clearly. So what is mind? I think it's a bit of a mystery. Wes Nisker, a Buddhist teacher, says that the mind is like a popcorn machine. It's constantly throwing up. Thoughts, And we can choose to latch on to one or more of those thoughts, or we can choose to let them fall. So often, we grab on, don't we? <laughs> the mind or thinking is so compelling. And so we have a thought and we latch on to it. We think because we have thought it, it must be true. I always like to say, it was years of my hearing that we didn't have to believe our thoughts before I actually got it. (laughs) I remember distinctly when I got it. It was one of those aha moments. Oh, just because I thought it doesn't make it true. Doesn't mean I have to believe it. It's just a thought. And some thoughts are quite useful, but many, many of them are not at all helpful and not true. So learning to discern which ones are helpful and which ones we can just let fall to the bottom of the popcorn machine. We typically associate mind with the brain. We think that thoughts come from the brain. Well, some might. However, science has not yet found the mind. At least not that I know of. Has anybody heard differently? <laughs> That's the last I heard, have not discovered the mind we have the brain and we know when certain parts of the brain light up, certain things happen, there are certain thoughts but no one has discovered mind Candace Pert who is I believe a neurobiologist or neurologist says there is mind in every cell every cell Knows what it is to do and knows how to do it. I think that's pretty exciting that there's mind in every cell. So the mind is not located in one place. You may have heard of Mark Epstein's book Thoughts Without a Thinker. So if there's no agent, if there's no thinker, where do the thoughts come from? Probably you've had the experience, as I have, of a really great, really helpful thought that just comes. And I've certainly had that experience. And when it does, I know clearly that I didn't make it up. I didn't think it. It came to me. It just came to me when I needed it. Where did it come from? A lot of the thinking that goes on all the time, that I can see is pretty clearly probably from this brain, from this conditioning it just goes on and on and sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's not but where do these really valuable thoughts come from we might call it wisdom wisdom arises it's not something we can control or something we can force. But through practice and through seeing things clearly and over time, wisdom arises. Wisdom, as we know, is different from knowledge or information. Knowledge and information probably comes from the brain. We can learn things, and that can be very useful, very helpful. But wisdom seems to develop in a different way. Wisdom seems to develop over time and doesn't necessarily seem to be related to the brain. For me, it seems to be broader, more spacious, even more elusive, Perhaps. Some people might call it intuition. So, how do we allow wisdom to develop and come to us? One is by having an open mind. not closed, not seeing things just one way, but keeping our minds open for new information. In Zen, we talk about beginner's mind. Suzuki Roshi said, the mind of an expert has few options. The mind of a beginner has many So we refer to beginner's mind as that mind that is open and in which there are many possibilities. We see the whole picture, the whole situation, not just one piece or not just one way but we see all of the aspects or at least as many as we can of any situation. And we suspend judgment. And again, just see things as they are. Sometimes we call it bare attention. We keep an inquiring mind. We keep an interested, curious mind. I mentioned before big mind and small mind. That comes again from the Zen tradition, or big sky mind. Small mind being this individual mind, the ego mind. Big mind, or big sky mind, being the the larger mind, that embraces it all. And there's the meditative mind. The meditative mind that is calm and quiet and from which insight can arise. Many experiences can come from a meditative mind. I use it sometimes to communicate with my animals. And I I can't say that, you know, I'm always correct, or that I always get what they're saying, but sometimes I do, and sometimes I've had it confirmed by someone else. Sometimes, in a meditative mind, I can communicate with someone else not in a talking way as we usually think of, but in a knowing way. I've had things come to me. I knew when somebody was dying once in a meditative state. I knew when my brother died many years ago before I got the call telling me that he had died. So, many things are possible in this quiet, still, meditative mind. So, I'd like to ask you what you notice during the meditation. About the thinking process or about your thoughts? Who would be willing to share? What did you find? Mm-hmm. And let Maureen give you the. I noticed trying to quiet them didn't work. <laughs> I noticed being present, focusing on my breathing. Mm-hmm. They seemed to fade away. So, very good. Yes. It's so true. Trying to stop ourselves from thinking Trying to push away the thoughts doesn't work. Many people will say, Oh, I'm not very good at meditating. I can't stop the mind from thinking. No. (laughs) It's, It's rare that the mind stops thinking. What we can do is be aware, just as you said. We can be aware of the breath, or we can be aware of the thinking, of the thoughts. And that's the best way to allow them to settle down. Yeah, thank you. What else? Who else? Mm-hmm. Can we have a I feel that I am fighting with my breathing when I go back to the breathing. And um, I just start to feel a tightness in my chest. But then I go ahead and continue to breathe and the feeling goes away. But um, I'm kind of a beginner meditator. Mm -hmm. And going back to the breathing sometimes gets me in a rut of... My chest is hard, and my breathing's too shallow. And then I become judgmental about the breathing. But if I just keep breathing, it sort of floats away. Yes, yes. Judgments are <laughs> can be a real um, prison, and we say that this is an accepting practice. That there's no need for judging. We all have very, very similar experiences. We all have difficulty staying with the breath. And we all have unpleasant, unbidden thoughts arise. And it actually does no good to try to push them away. Or to try to have the breath be other than what it is. And so sometimes if coming back to the breath becomes a struggle, or sometimes if we have respiratory difficulties or grief, being with the breath can be quite difficult. And then it's okay to switch to something else. We can switch our attention to sound, we can switch our attention to another part of the body, maybe the hands touching or the lips touching or whatever is more comfortable. That's fine. We don't have to focus on the breath. It's useful because it's always there and it's generally easy to find. If it becomes a struggle, then drop it and focus on something else. That's pretty generally true when anything becomes a struggle. We want to make effort. We want to be diligent. But whenever something becomes a struggle, then it's probably not going to do us any good. That's often true with pain or discomfort, you know, we're encouraged to stay with discomfort and not move right away. Learn from it. And often it will subside, it will relax, but not always. And if it doesn't, and it becomes a struggle, then we can mindfully move. Because struggling isn't useful. Staying with something, if we can, that's useful. But struggling isn't. So when it becomes a struggle, then we can change. We can move. Mindfully. For remember that mindfulness is the key. That's what we want to be doing. Anybody else? What did you notice about your thoughts, about... The thinking process, besides that, it's very compelling. Anybody? Yes. Well, I don't be an anxious person, so I'd say enjoy. Can you turn the microphone I'm sorry. Is that a fine? Okay, thanks. Like, a majority of the thoughts that kind of come up when I'm meditating are planning-oriented, even if, like, the initial thought isn't really about scheduling. Like, eventually it domino effects into that. Mm -hmm. And I find that, like, letting go of the thought, I can let go of the actual thought, but I can't get rid of, like, that anxious feeling of, like, eventually I'm going going to have to think about that later, if that makes sense. So I can let go of the thought, but not really the feeling that was initially with it. I don't really know. I was I was curious how to sort of let go of that, too. So um, the feeling is anxiety, anxiousness. Mm-hmm. And you said you have that a lot. Well, like when... I would say I have that a lot, and most of the thoughts that pop up are, like, planning thoughts and, like, planning thoughts. Uh, So you're saying you think the planning creates the anxiety? Oh, that's interesting, because often we say it's the other way around. That the planning is a way of handling the anxiety. The anxiety creates, um, or planning is a way of dealing with the anxiety. Yeah. So you can let go of the planning, but the anxiety is still there. So what happens if you just stay with the anxiety? Um, I would say it just like kind of distracts me the rest of Like my meditation time. I don't know, like my breathing is a little bit it faster. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. It's like it's hard to focus on my breath because I'm thinking about letting go of that thought. That <laughs> yes. That uh-huh, uh-huh. often there's a subtle desire to not have the anxiety, to push it away, to think that that's not okay or that's not part of the meditation. But what we can do is make that the object of our meditation. So just paying attention to the anxiety. Where do you feel it? Um what happens, does it change does it become stronger does it go away or subside even for a few seconds or a second and allow it to be I know that's (laughs) that can be tricky because it can be uncomfortable Um, but It's not that it's interfering with your meditation. It is your meditation. We have this idea that meditation is about being quiet and serene and calm and not having thoughts and not having difficulties, not having um, anxiety. (laughs) But our meditation is whatever it is, whatever is happening. And if it's anxiety, it's anxiety. And then whatever is happening, that's what we can turn our attention to. And, um, and then just have an interest in it, a curiosity. Just see what the anxiety is like. And you can pay attention to the mind and see if there are images or thoughts that come up attendant to the anxiety. Um, Often there are. And it's not that we want to get involved in them, but it can be useful, it can be helpful sometimes to see what the thoughts might be, or images might be, or what is is driving the anxiety. Because something is, something is um, creating it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. So, uh, did any of you know how? Or notice how many of your thoughts are repetitive, over and over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you notice how many of them are self-referential? <laughs> About ninety-nine percent. <laughs> I've heard Gil say, you know, we can think about ourselves all day and never get tired of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you notice judgmental thoughts, mm-hmm. critical thoughts? Mm-hmm. So it can be a little disconcerting to realize what we are thinking all the time. And as I said, if we're not aware, if it's below our level of awareness, then it's running us, it's driving us. And what we want to do is Make it part of our awareness. Make that thinking process part of our awareness so that it's not driving us. So that we can use our minds to our benefit and not have our minds running us. So often they are There's the image of us being drug around by the tail by our minds. Our minds can be quite unruly. But with awareness, with our paying attention and seeing clearly what the thoughts are, what the mind is suggesting, we begin to have some control. Now, we can't totally control our thoughts, for sure. But we can learn to choose which thoughts we will pay attention to and which we will not. And the ones that are helpful and skillful and wholesome, we want to put our awareness on those. And the ones that are critical and judgmental and lead to unhappiness and suffering and worry and fear and etc., we can learn to let go of. Now, I'm not saying it's necessarily easy. It isn't always but we can learn to do it. We can decide, I am not going to continue down that path. There came a time in my practice several years ago where I said to, I said to my mind, only what's useful. Only what's useful. And what I meant by that was I will no longer pay attention to this crap that is not helpful, and that can be destructive, can be harmful. I will pay attention to what's useful. And I have to say that that was really helpful. (laughs) It was really, it helped me to be able to let go, just not buy into those thoughts that were unwholesome, destructive, and turn my attention to what was wholesome, what was helpful. So I think it's important for us to remember that the mind can be a very good friend. And the mind can be our worst enemy if we let it run out of control. But if we use it for our benefit, if it w- we use it for wholesome and skillful activities, it can be our friend. And I suggest that there's maybe no end to studying the mind. <laughs> the mind is pretty incredible. And pretty vast and sort of mysterious at times. And so, keeping that interest, keeping that level of curiosity, paying attention, and being willing to see clearly what is going on in the mind, what is happening. so that we can choose, we can make decisions about what we want to pay attention to and what we want to make sure we do not feed or fuel. So it's almost nine. I wonder if there are last-minute question, questions. Questions? Uh uh-huh. um, Can you get that? Mm-hmm. Is it on? I don't think so. Okay. Is the green light yeah. on? Yeah. Um, I was here last week. I apologize for repeating anything I was saying um, last week. Um, a while ago, a couple of years ago, I had a near-death experience. I came out of a coma. And at that point, like you had mentioned, freedom or liberation is realizing that you are not the mind because the mind will overtake you. I'm going through a grief situation right now, but once, like you said, once you witness those things, it doesn't take a hold of you as much. Mm. So, um, it was a very good experience that I had, but, um. Every day is still a learning experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful way to meet life, I think, that every day is a learning experience, that we're open to each day, to what it will bring, what it will present, and we can learn from it, whether we like it or not. (laughs) That can be irrelevant, but we can learn from it, be open to it. Anything else? Comment? Okay. Well, thank you for your attention. And may you sometimes have a quiet, calm mind. It's a lovely, a lovely thing to experience. But please... Don't be discouraged if it doesn't happen a lot. (laughs) It may not.